This week's episode of Meet the Brave is sponsored by me, your host, Monty Draper. This Friday, June 15th, live from Brick and Mortar in San Francisco, the entire At The Ave Records crew will be in full effect, opening for Detroit's own The Legendary Black Milk and the Nat Turner Band. We look forward to packing it out. We want to say thank you to everyone who has purchased tickets so far. We're giving away 10 copies of our 7-inch reloaded with purchases of your tickets to the show. There's only a few left because so many people have been, been supporting, but this is how you can get involved. Go to my Instagram page, that's at FR33MANI, click the link in the bio, purchase your tickets, screenshot your receipt, DM me, and I'll have a free copy of our 7-inch vinyl reloaded waiting for you at the show. But you gotta be in attendance. So, again, visit FR33MANI. On Instagram, click the link in the bio, purchase your ticket, screenshot your receipt, DM me, and you'll have a free copy of our 7-inch Reloaded. But for now, let's get into this episode of Meet the Brave. Meet the Bravers. The fuck is up? Another week. Thank y'all for being back. I'm glad to be back. It is my birthday today, Monday, June 11th. Um, yeah, I I think everybody following me on Instagram is like, fam, you've been celebrating all week. Like, relax. But yeah, this is my family. It's like really proud and wanted to do it big. And who am I to say no? Yeah, so way too much tequila, way too much weed, and I'm recovering. No, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm I'm doing good actually. <laughs> um, special episode again. Every episode is special, but this one in particular because I got my creative partner, brother, friend. Uh, some say we act like a married couple, as to be expected. Uh, but Ethan Mitchell, who also happens to be like my favorite creator, you know, uh, artist and. With the, with the untimely passing with the great Anthony Bourdain, um, he a lot of his interviews and like podcast interviews specifically have resurfaced, and so I just of course I listened to every single one, and one thing that was constant was him was how he spoke about artists, and how uh, how near and, and dear that term artist is and was to him and one thing he always spoke of is like yo true artists come and impact whatever genre or whatever art form they're attached to and everyone behind them sort of follows suit or references their work in some way so that's an artist while everyone else is a craftsman and i thought that was brilliant and i'm saying that to set up for this episode because this man is Ethan Machel is a true artist in that regard where he's a student first he studied all the greats and eventually found his own voice in his own lane but he's been through a hellacious journey and you'll hear it and and I and I and I think I do a halfway decent job of like prefacing um my connection to him and how and how we all met but it's it, it's all extremely poetic and and it sets up for the release of a record we worked on together the next one which is like 
so we're so we, we the interview we took place when I went up to Portland uh, a couple weeks ago to go finish up the album and in that process we finished the album and I just thought it was fitting to finally get him on the show and and ha- and and have and just ha- have a real a real conversation um to track the growth you know in the in the in the creative relationship and the friendship and everything and it was really great to like learn some new things you know and it put a lot of things in perspective in terms of like partnership and collaborating and how and how that all is supposed to look in a perfect world you know and it was it was it's magnificent he and his wife have been truly truly special to me so i wanted to send a shout a special shout out to christina and ethan um their entire family linda everybody back in cincinnati claire jess elliot (laughs) everybody pops um it so it's a too many of them to name but when it it really reminded me of my family um when we went back to Cincy we played a show there uh, just last summer and they're incredible people and i wanted i really really was looking forward to having this conversation in particular and sharing it with you all um i know there are a lot of uh creators and just incredible people um that that are in 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 super pursuits of not only happiness, but, but liberation and freedom and through, through their expression, you know, and that listen to the show and really, really wanted to, um, to track and document my own journey. And this is a really important piece to my journey because it's, uh, really poetic and, and having to go back to Portland where my music journey sort of started and where I was able to sort of first identify, um, the depression and and um just how much my spirit was under attack was a first was this was the first place that I was able to really identify it and begin the process of healing and it's been a long journey I'm still not there still working on it day to day but creating that dialogue has been extremely helpful and I owe these people a lot so without further ado I had so much more to say, but in the process of thinking about it, got a little bit overwhelmed. And I know it was a hard week. We lost a lot of people. Um, AB is extremely special, but there's we let that be a reminder of, you know, be empathetic and really, really tap in with your people and and just give them give at the very least. Give them the love of lending an ear, an unbiased ear, you know, where everyone's under so much scrutiny. Hence the while we all curate our social and, and, you know, just create these perfect images because everyone, you know, it's terrifying to be scrutinized. But as a as an expressionist, you know, as a as a creator, kind of got to throw all that out the window, you know, and the, the, the not really. I, we found a new form of freedom in creating this this album with Ethan. Like, yo, I'm not attached to, I'm no longer attached to what everyone is gonna say or think. It's just literally, I just wanted to create a timestamp for my own personal experience in the world. And we, I can honestly say, we did that with the help of the legendary super producer Greg Williams. So thank you, G. Um, again, Christina, thank you. Ethan, thank you. The entire family, both of our families, thank you. Jesse, Sandy, thank you. Uh, Brandon, B Walk, thank you. 
Jotham, thank you. Uh, I know I'm missing somebody. Uh, DJ Flo, thank you. Chris Mueller, Danielle Schnur, thank you both so, so much um, for all your help throughout this process. Lex, how the hell could I forget? Um, but without further ado, man, this is my conversation with the great Ethan Major. That was weird. It's like, off. <laughs> um, have you? How much? Of, have you listened to any episodes? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think I've listened to almost everyone. Oh shit! What? What? Okay. We're not oh coming. no, I'm a fan of you. Oh, <laughs> we're not coming. We're not coming in cold turkey. We're gonna be okay. Um, this is this is a fucking big deal. Um, I want to start with that because we are in Portland, Oregon, on in southeast. Um. And before I get to my guest, I want to just like set up the set up all the like pseudo like emo symbolic shit surrounding like this area and, and everything in the situation. So um, post college, I lived in Portland for a year and lived on the southeast side. And it was like the most miserable year of my life, like not all of it, but there was a good portion of it that um, was way too young to articulate and identify depression um, um, insecurity, all this shit that I was like, um, externalizing and like putting on other people, but it was all like within. So I just was way too young and didn't have enough information to identify that. Um, left here, went back home and the healing process began, but it was a really, really long time. And my sort of marker for the healing process, um, is, when when my when my cousin and his daughter passed um and my other and my and 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 that cousin's brother lost his girlfriend to suicide like that i i essentially just threw my hands up mm-hmm. and we had met maybe a year and ha- a year and a half before that maybe was that about a year and a half before a year, yeah, yeah a year and a half before that and at that point you were like bro I got a, I got an entire basement. You don't even have to see us if you just need a space. Like, come on. And I was like, I don't even know this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he just go offer me a place to stay, and and you, and you and your uh, fiance at the time were in planning your wedding, and it was like in the weeks leading up to your wedding that mm-hmm. you were offering that, and I was like, this kid is crazy. And every bit of me wanted to lean on um that fear of not knowing and not come mm-hmm. like there was a big part of me that was like i can't go do this this is a stranger i don't know this person i can't just go stay at someone's house that i don't know mm-hmm. and i got out of that fear and arrived and it was like damn this is everything i needed and i just didn't know i had no idea where i was gonna get it from i didn't even know what i needed right um but the reason that was able to happen is because in recording and and uh, recording that first album lma with half black was sending it to a bunch of people and um damn i I really don't even oh no uh my, my homegirl yulia shout out to yulia um uh, 
who's doing incredible things. Uh, she was at Complex. She got another job, and I haven't heard about it yet, so I'm, like, excited to hear what she's doing next. I miss you if you're listening. Um, she was playing the album for some homies at Soul Collector, and one of their, their leading video guy was like, yo, I'll shoot a video for bro because this shit is fire. As long as he can get here, I'll shoot it for, for cost. Mm-hmm. And he ended up keeping the cost down to absolutely nothing. <laughs> so it was dope. Um, so I flew up here, slept in the airport that night. I don't know if you knew that. Because, um, you know, that's how it worked. I just did. I wanted it so bad. Like, borrowed money for a flight. A buddy pass, too. Um, slept in the airport, shot that video. But the concept that Jotham came up with needed an extra. And he got you. Mm-hmm. And we spent this awkward 45 minutes just sitting next to each other as shooting were, yeah, as they were setting everything as up. they were setting up and just like talking like nerding out about music i was like oh bro this is like actually dope like this is dope <laughs> like the because it was there's people you bond with over things and it's usually like surface level like mainstream mm-hmm. main uh popular culture shit but the people i really bond with are like deep dive like b-side shit is how i equate mm-hmm. it and you were like that chris uh kate uh, Quitty, um, so it's a it's a, it's a it's a large group of my friends. Like <laughs> like all of my really close friends are like that, mm-hmm. and that's what you and I bonded over really quick. And that spawned this relationship that jumped to all that crazy shit happened in my life. We had we had talked on the phone a bunch. We had emailed. We had texted. We had we had just st- constantly stayed in contact. Mm-hmm. And um, when we were touring, where we were touring with Sue, we didn't have any money. And so we we had a, we literally had enough to get our flights in and a rental car, but not enough to get places to stay. And on our Portland stop, you and your wife hosted me and all my crazy ass cousins, mm-hmm. and I just never forgot that shit because it was like, like damn, it's it's amazing people out here, and that really kicked off the relationship. And parting the long ass like monologue but i had to i had to really set this up so that it so that people had some context in listening to this conversation my my guest today is ethan machel um from cincinnati um living in portland but soon to be back in cincinnati yep. <clears throat> what's up man not much dude <laughs> i'm glad you're here i said all that and completely left out the part that we were recording an album and the 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 giddiness and all the like giggles and shit like schoolboy like uh silliness that you're gonna hear is all from the excitement of finishing this record last night um and we we um we took the bounces and we listened to them and thought you know just you just always want to account for having notes so we woke up this morning kind of looked at each other like you got notes like nope (laughs) nope the only note i had was good job everybody (laughs) um Start there, E. How do you yeah. how do you feel be done with an album? I feel great, dude. I mean, this this process, like you mentioned, that initial time you came up, the mm-hmm. fear you had in your sort of subconscious desire to cancel that trip. Yeah. I was on the other end, being <laughs> like, like, what can I call and say this to this kid that something's come up? That make him some excuse. I'm not sure how to do this. <laughs> and I feel like at that moment, we both kind of reached in and made a, a decision that we weren't going to surrender to old fear. Uh-huh. And and that was it and then it just like it you know blossomed from there i don't yeah. feel like i've had a lot of different experiences with music but i've never had one that has been this uh 
uh, eye-opening, hmm. I guess. Like, Reveal, learn, learning. We just talking about that in the kitchen, which is mm-hmm. why I was like, I like hella stopped the conversation abruptly. I was like, this is for the podcast. We can't <laughs> we'll, talk about this we'll right wait, now. We'll wait, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we'll work our way up to this. Let's go back. Um, because you have a specific set of skills that um and I'm and I'll I'll connect this but usually when people are multi-talented and I don't mean like okay at at a few things I mean like exceptional at a handful like the the true meaning of like a fucking Swiss army knife usually what the common brain does is have a hard time um, identifying with that person because they have nothing to categorize it as. Mm-hmm. And so I liken it to a Draymond Green slipping in the draft, for example. Um, and the reason I use that is because on my scouting report coming out of high school was he can do everything. So they, it was like a knock because I didn't have a position. Mm-hmm. And in the way my brain works, isn't that a fucking, like, the greatest tool to yeah, have? Absolutely. Um and so I have like this real affinity for a Draymond Green, um, a, a PJ Tucker. Um, some of these, this is sorry, nerd basketball shit, but <laughs> there are these, there are these particular gentlemen that don't do any one thing great. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of shit exceptionally well, mm-hmm. and it makes them um, invaluable. Like you can't put a price tag on a Draymond, and people are like yo, how how is he? How is he? How is he? That um, what's the word I'm looking for? That valuable that t- that team, and if you take him out, and uh, for no, like listening to um, uh, the Bill Simmons podcast uh, last night, they were talking about PJ Tucker of the Houston Rockets plus minus mm-hmm. on offense and defense when he was on and off the floor, and it was like the swing of like a hundred and something points. Right. It was great for the series, and that doesn't show up. <clears throat> That doesn't show up to the average fan. They have, they have no way of understanding why that's invaluable. Right. But when you play and when you're in the trenches, you know that there's not a price tag you can put on that. And when you look, um, when you look at any, for me, it, again, I, I'm pretty clear on with the with the people that listen to podcasts. Like my lens is strictly through hip hop, so mm-hmm. I look at it through from crews, from labels. Um, to, to crews that have had really successful runs, there's always this person that that's just really great at everything. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I've come I've I've met a few of those people, but with you it's different because from day one of working together you weren't afraid of the work. And that's important because you're you're isolated and alone mm-hmm. um especially how nowadays with technology we're working remotely um there's a there's a trust level that comes with taste mm-hmm. and there's a there's a um encompassing part where you really gotta listen and try to encompass what the other is saying and and executing and collaborating like that. And I wanted to set it up that way because 
that's kind of how it makes sense in my brain. And I'm, is it, there's even a few things that I'm leaving out that I'm not thinking about real time because it's, uh, you know, it's just being on the spot. But where the hell does that come from? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've always had <laughs> a lot of different interests in my life, and I've always had a problem with, I think, what some people might refer to as uh, ADD. Mm-hmm. And uh, music and visual art were always kind of in competition from my time when I was in high school. And then I had made a decision to go to art school. And I was like, I'm really just going to focus on visual art. And then in the visual art field, I got completely overwhelmed because my experience in art school was, you know, 19 out of an all boys private Catholic high school hmm. into art school with a lot of people who spent a lot of time thinking about a lot of stuff that I didn't even know Existed. was an option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I just kind of get dropped into the fire and they're like, well, yeah, you just make what you want. And it's like, I don't know what I want. And they're like, yeah, hmm. figure it out. And like, and so that was always kind of like terrifying, but then really freeing because it was like immediately it was up to me to decide what to do. Yeah. And as I continued to go through my art career, I started to think about visual art as a language and started to see an importance in learning like you know essentially how to spell before i start writing books damn and so i really wanted to learn like very classical painting like uh like renaissance style because i was like if i can learn that language i can take that language and i can apply it in any different form whereas the teachers that i had at school were you know they would always tell me like there's no point in learning that stuff because people have been doing that for hundreds of years like how are you going to do that any that's differently crazy that they said that to yeah. you. wow well and they all wanted to push me to just be an abstract painter hmm. um but i mean honestly i originally went to art school for photography gotcha and then took one painting class and was like nope that's <laughs> this, is what, this is what i'm supposed to do well go i remember clear as day a senior in high school working on my uh, senior thesis show, mm-hmm. head of the fine art department came into my studio and looked around and was like, Ethan, this looks like a group show in here. Wow. Like how many different artists are in this room? And I was like, I was stoked. I felt so proud and I was like, it's just me. Mm. And he was like, that's a problem. You need to really refine. And I was like, you're the same person who told me it's not worth it to learn classical mm-hmm. painting. So I am gonna say no. Yeah. And I started to realize, like, at various points through college and even after college, that, like, if I work really hard on one thing, I can definitely hit a wall. And yeah. I can hit those walls pretty hard. But if I have different avenues to pursue creative ideas, that takes the pressure off of, you know, one in particular style or form of communication. Fuck, dude. So that I could, you know, if I get blocked on a painting, I could pick up a guitar and start writing a song. Yeah. Or, you know, you know, grab some clay and make some creepy little thing Mm -hmm. but then the thing that i started to realize as i was doing that is that there's a conversation between all these different forms and it's like you know one brush stroke all of a sudden i know what the next line in the song i've been working on is supposed to be and it's just it's super bizarre but it's been (laughs) i mean it's been it's been a long road (laughs) well and that and and all that is really so because i i we've had conversations around this before but never have you explained it like that mm-hmm. and it it makes so much sense and puts a lot of things in terms of how you like in perspective and another thing that really really helped was um when we were touring the midwest and we stayed at your parents house and i got to spend time with your mom and dad and i'd already 
really spend time with with your brother but then meeting your sister um the uh the level of personality between all you all of you but that it's you guys all have that same i don't i don't even know what it is but it's this uh it's this particular set of like humor but like humanity that's like it's 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 overwhelming bro like i i know i know people that 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 give a fuck about mankind but y'all take it to a whole another <laughs> level in your entire like claire's like that your mom your dad and jesse is like that mm-hmm. and the thoughtful and, and i keep using this in this podcast but it is it is a real common thread with the people that i've sat down with so far is that there's a level of thoughtfulness in your expression that is so true to to humanity that it can't be um can't be quantified but that's how your your parents house felt when right. we were there like damn i don't my mom I was facetiming my mom when i was there i was like she's like you all right i like i never felt this good before in my life. And, I don't, I don't, and i don't know and i don't know why uh because usually there's an awareness of like cultural difference mm-hmm. differences race and all these different things but there's a uh there's a there's a level of 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 truth that your family operates in that um that's that's a uh, that's com- that's just that's just wild comforting and I don't know how I don't know how common that is you know and and that shit makes its way into your every every endeavor of art like it's just it's just honest and. And so I, I, I'm I'm setting that up to go like I really want to go back and like where like because you're again your parents possess that so mm-hmm. do you how much of their story do you know do you know where they're from originally Oh yeah yeah definitely you're, so uh, my mom grew up on a farm uh, in in Cincinnati okay or just outside of Cincinnati mm-hmm. and my dad grew up in Cincinnati like proper okay um, and what was the when they were growing up, do they talk about like the dynamics and like the in the and how the city was laid out? Because it's like the when you think about the Midwest, um, you automatically group it in everything in with like Chicago and like the in Detroit and like the Great Migration, um, or all the black people from the South and it being like oh oh a little bit more opportunity. But everything that I've learned about the Midwest is like is just as racist as the south in some regard like segregated so yeah. was is do well, they talk about that a lot they talked about it some but um you know i mean the the one thing about like the race and the differences that my parents constantly just like put into our heads is that there is no difference mm-hmm. like you don't judge somebody on anything other than their character but what this is this is crazy to uh-huh. ask but what what was it about their upbringing that that had them on that shit when they when every when all signs pointed to they should be, be on a different type of energy like right. I, I, that's what I guess that's what fascinates me is like when the when when there's when times call for a certain thing you kind of just go where everybody was uh, was was uh, sort of going with that train of thought. Mm-hmm. And and that and moving with that energy in terms of in terms of race and segregation, but your like your parents, there aren't they 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 aren't reformed racists right. or learned like they lived they've lived lives like that and have raised kids like that. Well, so 
in a crazy ass part of town. I think one <laughs> of the th- world. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Well, one thing that my parents decided they both, you know, had their different issues growing up, mm-hmm. and one thing that they decided that they were going to actively try with starting their own family huh. was to deny all of that old the Thank old you. ways yeah. and so uh my mother is a psychiatric nurse which mm-hmm. is essentially a therapist yeah. and my dad's a math and science teacher wow and my dad worked in a lot of inner city schools mm-hmm. and he worked with a lot of you know a lot of different demographics mm-hmm. and he put a huge importance both of them put a huge importance on our education and give it giving us an education that would give us you know ultimately a leg up and a sort of different understanding than other people you know might might get especially growing up kind of ultimately in the suburbs yeah um and so they pushed really hard for you know understanding and challenging things that you know maybe you didn't understand or maybe you thought were incorrect so it was like you know from a very young age anytime i'd get in a bad mood my mom would be like you're it's okay to be in a bad mood but why are you in a bad mood? <laughs> and that shit would drive me crazy. And then growing up, you know, my dad would always be like, so how was your day? And I'd be like, it's good. And he'd be like, that's not enough. He's like, no. He's like, hey, you look me in the eye. You look yeah. me in the eye, you have a conversation with me. And that shit used to drive me so crazy. Pop, Pops is a military man, huh? He is. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, that shit used to drive me so crazy. Yeah. And then when I was a freshman in college, I found myself in a situation with a bunch of people who were way older than me mm-hmm. and you know from what I could tell knew a lot more than me. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I had these two things that had been just beat into my head that at no point could I appreciate prior where it was like all of a sudden I was like oh I can relate to them on a human level. Yeah. I can have this conversation and I can empathize with it's them crazy. because I can, you know, figure out what the emotion is. Yeah. And it was like at that moment it was like I went from you know, stop saying this shit to me mm. to thank, thank you. you for saying this shit to me. Yeah. And um, it's funny what, it just what, what time affords. Like you can't, there isn't a, uh, there isn't a substitute, a fast forward button for lessons. Like you got to get the information and then life sort of sets it, sets it up to where, all right, now you get to use all that shit you mm-hmm. <laughs> that's been beat into you, and so you don't get to appreciate it until later. And it's like, uh, just with just with time, things get better. But we, as technology advances, as as uh, our you know our our privacy lessons and all these things happen, we we aren't afforded that luxury to just like, yo, in time I'll understand. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I need now to now 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 thing, and and that's the same thing with growing up and. Um, what you you're the you're not the youngest i'm the middle you're the middle okay i'm the neglected one the ne- <laughs> 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 what was uh cuz uh Je- like hanging out with Jesse and like Jesse's record collection is um he Jesse might be in my top 3 records cuz it's not at least what he what he what he had showcased in his living room it wasn't a lot but his is curated in a way where he only has fire shit. That's like it. I've been in, people go to people's homes and they got a bunch of shit, and and probably eighty percent of it is trash. And right. it's like you know you could just throw a lot of you this don't away. Need that. Yeah, Jesse doesn't have a single record like that. No, um, and it ranges. When I say from everything, from r- like early early rock 
early soul, 70s soul, electronic, the sick, probably probably one of the illest hip hop collections going. Him and um, um, DJ GMS, my, my uncle Renando, like hip hop collections, by far the best. And um, so him being your older brother, like <laughs> what was the, the impact uh, musically? That he had. So he he's four years older than me. Okay. Okay. And uh, that's a that's a four years is weird because it's not a lot, but depending on where the four years lie, mm-hmm. it's a it turn it ends up becoming a lot. So if you're eighth grade, he's senior, right? Like that's a that's a substantial gap. It is. Whereas what four and eight ah, uh, right? But you know. Eight and twelve. That's a big one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I feel like one thing that uh, I'm sure my parents can attest to: when I was growing up, there was no age gap between me and my brother, and so everything he did, I felt like I should be able to do also. (laughs) Then there's that. But yeah, so there there was always that sort of level. But then my brother was always, you know, really keen on including me. Uh So as far as damn, wait, 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 can't we can't gloss over that? What is what, what? So when I was in eighth grade and my brother was a senior in high school, you, you were with I went out with him to shows all the time. That's it. Like, uh, just go hang out with bands, go hang out with people, watch, you know, weird movies. And, like, he kind of gave me a crash course in what it looked like to be, you know, ultimately uh, in, like, college life. Gotcha. You know, when I was in eighth grade. So by the time I got to high school, I felt like, you know, I was already kind of a weird kid, and then I got to high school, and everyone's, like, making dick jokes, and I'm, like... <laughs> Grow up, guys. <laughs> I feel a little beyond this. <laughs> but, but, um, but you know, I, you know, I luckily still make dick jokes. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but musically, one thing that happened with my brother is he, he would get tapes, bring them home, and just be so excited about it. Yeah. And then we'd go into his car, and we'd drive around and just listen to this music, and I would just be like floored like i'll never forget in fifth grade when i was in fifth grade uh i think it was like the offspring put out their first record or whatever and everyone was freaking out about it and it was the same time green day dookie came out Mm. and i was like you know i'd been listening to grunge and a lot of like basically 50s and 60s pop music Mm. that was all i listened to it's like rockabilly and old school phil Spector pop stuff and uh and I remember when that like kind of new quote unquote punk realm was coming out, I was like kind of excited about it. And I was mm. like, oh, this is this is good. And my brother looked at me and was like, look, if you buy an Offspring CD, I'll break it. If you buy a Green Day CD, I'll break it. He and kept I was it straight like, up. <laughs> I was like, w- like, why? He's like, that's not punk rock, dude. And then he gave me the Misfits. And I was like, oh. I get it. <laughs> and then, like, you know, and then, like, he just continued to open up doors for me and show me all this different stuff that yeah. then, you know, like when I was in high school, I had, you know, an older brother who had, you know, relatively exquisite taste in music yeah. and an understanding of why it was good. Yeah. And although I didn't necessarily possess that understanding of why it was good, I could tell. You were, you were going to grow into that. I could tell what, that I could tell that there was a difference, yeah. even though I couldn't articulate it. And yeah. so then that in high school, you know, I met some other kids who were into punk rock and like the alternative culture, but they were kind of scratching the surface. So yeah. I was like, let me show you, y'all the real. Yeah, why don't you come <laughs> over to my house and we can do like, you know, let's let's start a band. <laughs> the the um, 
Another reoccurring theme on here is the importance of the older sibling or older uh, person in your life that's not old enough where there's a, a, a disconnect, but old enough where you trust their taste and like, like, yo, I'm telling you this for a reason. Mm-hmm. Just trust me. And uh, my god brother, my god brother and my aunt, my dad's younger sister are exactly 10 years older than me. And, but I was their, their little guy. So as new shit was coming out, I was listening to it. So it's similar what you're talking about mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that, that sort of distance that created between me and my actual peers. Cause I was listening to shit. I just shouldn't have been listening to, uh-huh. you know, I, I remember, <laughs> I remember vividly, um, Learning every word to fucking masterpiece Ice Cream Man and mm-hmm. just shouldn't have known it. It was like <laughs> I was probably like second grade and like oh I know this whole record. Um, and it would be, it would be almost until like shit, almost like eleventh grade, where the conversation kind of caught up and I could kind of talk to my peers about music in particular. Mm-hmm. But there was still like, fuck, I can't really talk to these people, you know, because because of that, the like the just the exposure from my brother and my and my aunt and that and I and every time I see them, I just had lunch with my guy brother a couple of weeks ago. Shout out B, and I was telling him, like dog, like, and and it, and and I know it makes him it pisses him off because I know when he first found out I was a rapper, he kind of rolled his eyes. <laughs> But then he came, he's like, oh, you actually kind of good. <laughs> but it's like, it's your fault, bro. Like, you played me all that shit. Like, mm-hmm. he introduced me to, like, Early Cash Money, uh, Rompilation. Fucking, he's the one that played me Sublime the first time. And I was mm-hmm. like, that should change my Like, the, I just got done talking to Lisa from Breezy. And we were talking about what that Sublime record, that 40-ounce of freedom record. was like, I ain't never heard no shit like this. Right. He's rapping, singing fucking yodeling it's a whole bunch of different yeah. <laughs> weird shit like, going yeah, on in that totally. <laughs> but um and it it makes sense when you talk about taste like that's the thing about you your taste is like superb and well, you go you. in jesse's taste is super, it that you're you having an older person in your life to influence and make sure like that's really what it is what it for you're tasting fucking the, your part, the the women you choose, the, the music you listen to, like all that shit impacts you in some weird way. It's um, it's a it's a it's a conversation that's been pretty consistent on the podcast. So I wanted to stop and highlight it. Uh, and then there's a there's a moment where then Jesse leaves, and then you become the influencer. Well, it was a weird time because the two people. So when I was a in eighth grade, uh-huh. I'd spent first through eighth grade with one kid named Nico, and we were like inseparable. Yeah. And he ended up moving to Vermont. Oh, shit. And then my brother went to school in Chicago. So you lost your people at it once. Was gone. Yeah. 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 It was gone, and like my identity was kind of tied up through them. Yeah. And then I went to this high school where it was, you know, all boys school, <laughs> bleach blonde tops, short sides, and you know, every single person could guess by the way I dressed what my sexual orientation. Was. <laughs> and they wait, 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 <laughs> please, please talk about the outfit because every time you tell me about it, I crack up because I'm just like trying to picture a 14 year old Ethan 
in a fucking ascot. Like, bro, what is well, that? The first day of school was like our, our dress code was dress pants and collared shirts. Yeah. And I was like, oh, oh. shit, I got this. Like, <laughs> And I showed up in green, green plaid pants with an orange and blue horizontally striped The green shirt. plaid with the with the, the green and black plaid joints? Yeah. Oh, those are fire, though. Like, yeah. those are in now. No, People are wearing those. Cool. And I had blue suede shoes. I was so stoked on those blue suede shoes. But I walked into that school first day of freshman orientation, and it was literally like... And everyone just stopped and looked at me. And like, the record, just a the group, record stopped. Yeah, there's just a group of kids like, oh, this year's going to be fun. And just looked like right at me, and I was just like what the fuck am i about to get into what the the fact that they can still do an all an all sex school like that is is crazy cuz it just socially <laughs> as the ethan small like as we're talking about what a great multi artist he is he's currently um trying to get his dogs in line cuz they're they're yeah. brawling right now yeah, it's pretty they're, funny they're, they're battling hey <laughs> Trying to make the podcast. <laughs> so, um, what was it talking about? Just that experience of being fucking outcast in high school. Yeah. Uh, fra- the <laughs> when you when you the fact that they can still do um, all sex schools like that, or that they still do it. Did you did you ever find out what did they was there an explanation or like a like a like in the in the in the book you get at orientation like why they think this is the best method of learning? It was a Catholic school, so you know, women path to the devil. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and everybody's like, so that's all we needed to know. No, you I mean, like, like there, I think there's a lot of truth to that because it was like, you know, you'll be less distracted. If the opposite sex not around, you'll be able to focus more, which what I found was that it's like you're just way more repressed yeah. and then super, super awkward around girls. <laughs> like, good luck, buddy. <laughs> like, I mean, it took me years to learn how to talk to girls. Just to break out of that shit. Like, yeah, because they were aliens to me. And then, like, in that experience, I, you know, like, you know, I love women. Yeah. And, like, uh, the experience I had was really kind of put them on a different sort of pedestal where I was not uh, equipped necessarily to communicate with them because I thought they were something so much like not to say that they're not special but I thought that they were more special and so I had to change my approach than what I actually was you know damn that's a bar uh that put god bless his soul but Patrice O'Neill has this this reoccurring conversation and every fucking uh special he does every routine where it's just talking about the the irony and the dynamics between uh the male and the female and he uh the 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 male shark and the female shark it's like the only the only person that is equipped for the the female shark is the male shark right. like <laughs> if the if the, the and the female will do the female shark will do this thing because she's like I'm tired of the way the shark treats me go get the fucking penguin and mm-hmm. then just like play with her food until she eats it like, <laughs> and and I remember listening to that I'm like damn that makes sense like mm-hmm. a motherfucker like there's this there's this natural energy and a lot of and a lot of like really thoughtful and articulate women are able to articulate that clearly and like they're that 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 you know that 
how they really want a a real man and a real man is all of these thing, all of these things mm-hmm. is, but especially can give can create that feeling of femininity like like damn making me feel like a woman right now you mm-hmm. know that's a it's a it's a hard conversation to have cuz it's you know it's, it's a it's a it's a touchy one and like a specific one you got to be careful about language but it's a real ass one too and like that's why i appreciate the women that are able to have that that thoughtful conversation about mm-hmm. that dynamic in and um in a hetero relationship you know it's not always going to be that clear cut but in in terms of that like that's a real point sorry right like, i'll go off on a tangent but um what but music it wasn't all high school wasn't all music for you you're an athlete yeah. No, I went to so the reason I went to this particular school was because they had hockey. Yeah, and so fucking hockey. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, that's it. that's <laughs> so, we, let's go there because I'm black and from Richmond. I don't know right. shit about hockey. <laughs> Mighty Ducks. Yeah, there that you was go. my shit. Like Mighty Ducks and Ninja Turtles for a real long time. You couldn't convince me weren't the best movies in the world. No, and there um, was the definite time in my life where all I wanted to be was a Mighty Duck <laughs> and a Ninja Turtle. <laughs> so, <laughs> but how? Is is hockey like because with the with the state of Ohio, I automatically go football, mm-hmm. but is hockey just as like popular there? No, okay. hockey hockey was like sort of subculture in a way. Okay, um, and it was funny going to the school that I went to because every year they're nationally ranked in basketball, football, and res- wrestling. Damn, but then we were hockey players, and they'd be like, you know, <laughs> like kids trying to fuck with us and stuff and it's like dude we work out every day <laughs> every day like and hockey players are 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 jacked and strong in the most deceptive way and i was i was uh we we're talking about it uh, uh it was like my cousin has really gotten in going gotten into going to the san jose sharks games and he's like cuz they're massive they're huge huge dudes <laughs> huge dudes who hit you really fucking hard yeah no but it was like i feel like hockey you know, in a lot of ways set me up for the life that I live in bands and stuff because yeah. there's so much, you know, there's any team's going to have inner turmoil. Any team's going to have moments that they got to get through together. And yeah. it's like the moment you get through that shit together, all of a sudden your team's unstoppable. Got you. And so that really established uh, sort of understanding of what like group work looks like. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, an individual can score a goal. Yeah. But there's probably six or seven passes prior to that that yeah. led to that goal, which it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for those. Got you. And so, um, so I try to, you know, keep all those lessons that I learned, and as well as like, you know, if you do good but you lose the game, it still kind of sucks. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's always been like a, like you know, there are always small victories and loss. Mm-hmm. Like it's always a matter of like how you choose to take it. Sure. Um, but the idea of like working for something that's bigger than yourself Mm. working for the group working for that group win that shit always tasted better to me than just like that well you had a really good game and you scored a bunch of goals you know those and people because in playing team sports i know that you've had teammates that are like that that are just like man i did good and i never could i never could really uh understand how you got to that mindset because i was always always more like damn we lost like it never Mm -hmm. that shit never matters like damn you bought like because people would do that too um have a really good game and a loss and be like yeah man you bought i'm like what the fuck out my face we just lost like i don't (laughs) this shit hurts none of that nut 30 that 30 30 points didn't matter tonight because we lost like it just didn't matter 
but there is a particular uh person that can have that 30 in a loss and be and just yeah man i killed it and i don't know about them yeah and that uh that uh that amount of self- selfishness is like a is it's something that should be explored because it's a it's a special dose, and mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking about the guys that that, that I've that I've had on that have had a teammates that had that mentality, um. The 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 adults that they morphed into is like pretty in line with that thinking, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, when you when you when you talk about student athletes and how they've sort of it, there's a really there's a really cool study. Um, it was a couple. It's like two years ago that I read it, but I was talking about the student athlete and how they sort of uh, trans trans. Uh, fuck, why can't I talk this morning? <laughs> and how they transition, golly, how they transition into like the working force and into corporate. Mm-hmm. They the 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 numbers say if you're a number if if we're just going by the numbers, the numbers say that they excel at a really high rate because of the ability to adapt and to work as a group and to communicate and to work under pressure situations. It's like the ideal employee for an employer is a former student athlete just because of the, the workload. Um, one of my, 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 my closest friend in the world, um, is a project manager for a brand new uh, construction company. So I don't know if that means anything to a lot of people, but that means that they get contracted for big ass jobs mm-hmm. and because they're new, they are completely understaffed. So he's essentially doing the work of like five people right mm-hmm. now. And 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 it wasn't until he got up to the work of five people that he went, Yo, this is too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, wait, <laughs> you didn't think that at two? Yeah, right. <laughs> You're doing the 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 full work of five grown ass people mm-hmm. and it wasn't until you got to five but this is a former collegiate quarterback we're talking about right where work ethic ain't a thing ain't shit to nah. him at at three he was like yo like i'm no we get this like shit how's done. work man yeah. he's like oh yeah works just chilling over here like but you're doing the work of three people right now you do realize that i'm like no nah, it's all good and then five he was like okay too far <laughs> too far <laughs> but i uh i marvel over that um people who are for you know former athletes and then ha- and sort of view the lens of the, the, the their lens of the world is through that of 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 an athlete and a and a team uh and a team concept at that too mm-hmm. and you just talking about that really did highlight a lot of you and I working together and mm-hmm. like yo just like I, my favorite thing in crunch time down 7 and you can kind of look in and people's eyes and kind of see who's made for that moment like it's mm-hmm. it, you don't even have to have words you can just look at him and see who shook and that's my favorite thing about you would be like yo we gotta uh we gotta finish this artwork and this music and then fly to europe and you're like all right okay cool <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's do it that's only three people <laughs> <laughs> and it, and and that was the cool part about being in europe but like people would DM and write and be like, "Yo, man, y'all team moving strong. How many of y'all is it? Like, like eight? I'm like, ah, bro, it's three of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like one element of working with you guys that's been so rad. Is that I don't know. A lot of times I feel like I've got to step my game up 
to stay on the same level of where you guys are. And I feel like that type of, you know, I guess it's competition in a way. Yeah. It's like, or it's just determination not to let people down, yeah. I guess, more so than competition. But that, like that sort of being challenged creatively like that has been an invaluable experience, Man. you know? Man. Because I remember after the first actual studio session when you left, I was like, fuck. Monty's really good. I need to make sure that he thinks that I'm worthy of this journey. So I uh, made that video for Holy yeah. War. <laughs> it's like, but we're talking about, and we're skipping ahead because we're gonna go back. But that Holy War, for example, stop animation. We're trying to like calculate the hours, and you can't really. It's about three months of work, like, yeah. And you just did that shit, like, yeah. And that shit was trippy. And, and yeah, it's charcoal, so it was like every line I would erase, so there's a little bit of a history there. And so as the the board progressed, it just gets more and more like deep, and you can see all of the steps. And for context, because we're jumping ahead, but this is essentially um, one of the first visual visuals for the album, the the joint album that we worked on. And and like I said in the beginning, when I came up here, when all that stuff was happening, um, it was also centered around working with a bunch of local musicians and trying to just get uh, players together to make some music. And uh, Ethan had done a lot of work just going to shows and going to practices and just pulling up on different people and, like, setting it up. Like, he really had reached out to a bunch of people, and the majority of them was like, yeah, we're down. And then when I got here, every single person canceled. Like, yeah, man, I'm not going to make it. And, and I know people think we're exaggerating when we share that story, but that's true. Like, every was, single person canceled. Shit was tough, yeah. man. And um, I was living at the Nest at the time, so I was in the process of learning machine and how to operate Pro Tools like like fluently, and was getting pretty close, um, but still didn't have any of my own gear. So when I came here, I didn't have I had no, I didn't have shit with me when I got here. And uh, a homie Tyler, um, fuck, I missed that kid. I didn't mean, talk to him in a minute, but uh, he was here visiting his father, and uh, he had his uh, Akai uh mk49 in his laptop and just dropped it off so i was like teaching myself logic in the basement and, like once i learned how to program drums we went and picked up the interface from travis mm -hmm. and just plugged ethan in and like like literally like he just started riffing on like guitar riffs and i had never heard no shit like that and i was like oh this might be special and then my i'm i was terrible and like at I was complete. I was like just learning, so I was my drum uh, program was so so trash. But you were still jamming with it, and I was like, "Damn, if we keep these parts and just get these drums played better, this song could be pretty tight." And that song turned out to be "Hearts of Men" that was on Last Marauder, mm -hmm. and uh, literally just took the uh, that weird ass synth that I was playing, and those it's like three, maybe four guitar parts that you playing on there, and just sent that shit to Half Black. And he, them drums in that bass line and sent it back. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, I remember when you sent me that. Like, here, check this out. It was like, whoa, did I work on that? <laughs> but it was, uh, it was a, it was, it was a really great lesson in, like, accountability. Because every part of me, and then when we talked later, you you had mentioned you were going through the same thing. But the way your guys' house is set up is like the basement is like an apartment. So essentially, I had an apartment to myself for like two and a half, almost three weeks. 
And I was in that, I, I rarely left the room and was like trying to figure out who I could blame for not being able to make music and what it all came down to was like a lot of reflection and like mm-hmm. you just got to really make a commitment to learning and what I was talking, I've talked to Emily and a few other people about this is like what it all came down to is like I was really terrified of just being bad. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't want to be bad at something like, at, at, especially in your mid twenties like that. Like it's terrifying to be, be bad at something. It's well, like, it's, it's always scary to work at something and have something mean so much, yeah. and then to, like, sort what if, of see, what if you never figure it out? See your mortality. Yeah. Like yeah, exactly. And that's what I was going through, and um, coming out of that was just like so eye opening that eventually got my own gear, and got on that five beats or three beats a day shit and by the time we started working on this album it's like yo dog like i kind of got it dialed in now Mm -hmm. and still wasn't quite sure and then came up here for those first batch of sessions and like couldn't sleep for a couple days at like thinking like what it means to uh get your dreams and ideas out and like because when you work with like for me working with other producers like i would have a specific tone that i was going for Mm -hmm. and i'd have to convey that i'd have to find the words and articulate that and but a lot of that shit can't be transferred by actual language right it's a feeling Mm -hmm. and it would and from my heart to my head to my mouth would lose some of the feeling and transferring that shit to them and it just would fall short and i'm like damn i can always be let down it's like you mean to tell me there's an option where i can i can up go straight from my heart to sound like that's real mm-hmm. and that's what this process was it was like there's no there's no lag there's no cutoff there's no diluting nothing it's just like straight and i hope it's not too much <laughs> <laughs> um what what year did you did you did you did you migrate west well, when was that 2005 and what was the what was the thinking around that was so it, my i was a senior in high school my brother had been living in chicago at that point for uh-huh. i think eight or nine years uh-huh. and uh most of his he was essentially tired of working on r kelly music videos <laughs> <laughs> so that's a fun <laughs> wait we can't even gloss over that jesse worked on r kelly videos and at by one point or another they had worked on so many r kelly videos that they were told that they could no longer look in r kelly's direction right yeah no it was like that was his main thing it was like oh what are you working on he's like r kelly he's like still like yeah no it's a different one but um but so his work was moving at that point he was a grip yeah um, in the film industry and so his all his work was moving to um la and he was like i don't want to live in la yeah. and so him and his wife decided to get a house out in portland yeah and i remember jesse calling me and being like dude you got to come out here. Wow. You got to come out here. He's like, it's the same living cost as Cincinnati. You can make eye contact with people. <laughs> no one's going to fuck with you. Like people maintain their yards. So he was like, dude, the bad neighborhoods here are just the grass isn't cut. And it was like, what? And so I came out and visited and was like, well, fuck yeah, I'm coming out here. Yeah. And, you know, we had talked about, you know, starting some, some form of something. And mm-hmm. then I got back to Ohio after Christmas break senior year and told, my group of friends that I was going to be coming out here after I graduated and you know three of my or two of my closest friends were like well if you're going out there we're coming too wow. and I was like oh fucking a and then we moved out here it was my friend Justin my friend Noah mm-hmm. Justin and I started playing music together when we were 14 and Noah was like you know 
hands down best homie in the world ever and uh i was like well fuck noah's coming out we'll teach him how to play bass start a band we moved out here i got a call from my friend scott who i went to art school with and was like i just heard that you guys moved to portland and you're starting a band do you need a drummer and i was like well duh and so he moved out so i was like (laughs) so all of a sudden here we are you know these you know four midwestern kids living out in portland playing music and just trying to figure out what it all means you know and uh and you guys had you already cut your demo by then or you cut didn't cut the demo till you got here we uh well so justin and i have a very long history (laughs) (laughs) and a lot and a lot of content um and so right before we moved out we were in a band at that point called in space no and we worked on an album and we actually had to do it twice because the first time we were really close to finishing it the hard drive that everything was on crashed crashed and it was all gone and not only that but our drummer at the time was like after that shit went down he was like well I'm going to be out of town for the next three months. So you guys figure it out. And it was just like, oh, shit. So so we redid that album, which was an experience. (laughs) And I definitely learned a lot of things (laughs) of what not to do. Um, Shit was so precious, you know. It was like it it was impossible to keep it in a realistic headspace. Um, And so we came out with that record. But then, you know, as soon as we got out here and started writing songs out here, it was like, well, this record isn't as good as the stuff we're working on so let's you know take what's good from that record re-record it take all these new songs put that shit together and then just see what happens and then you know ups and downs and all that shit what what is if i am i am am i not remembering correctly there was a there was a a a label situation out of that out of some of those songs at some point wasn't there yeah in england there's like a lo-fi uh indie pop label mm-hmm. um they were they were real real stoked on us putting out a record uh-huh. and we had had a record done but then you know us kids who were like well we know better than <laughs> everything <laughs> we're just gonna write a whole new record for this process yeah. which killed the band yeah Damn. but through that through the death of that project arose soft paws which soft paws ended was up bit. being the you know the the sort of swan song at that time in my life where yeah. it was like hands down the best band i'd ever been in yeah um and you guys get you guys got buzzing in portland like relatively quick mm-hmm. right we if, did is that am i got well, do I have the timeline right yeah or? it was I mean, that band's always been weird mm-hmm. we're still playing but it's always been one of those things kind of like i was saying last night where we play one night and it's a sold out club and we play the next night and it's a bartender <laughs> and a sound guy <laughs> And so it's like always really difficult to kind of get a grasp of what was going on. And definitely at me at that point, I was sort of defining success through other people. Wow. And so that was really hard for me to maintain because I couldn't tell, you know, what was good or what wasn't good. And it was actually in that process that I kind of started to, you know, try to let go of expectations and just let shit be what it is, you know? Yeah. What, um, and then in the in the process of the bands and the and the and the moving what's happening with your painting and 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 all the stop motion stuff and the claymation like everything that you've that, that you've acquired at this point are you are you using it you're working no nah. so at that point i was being pulled very aggressively by both 
sides of my creative brain where yeah. it was like you need to either focus on music or you need to focus on art huh. and then there was this opportunity where some kids i knew who were in like a pretty big band at the time um needed a music video yeah. they wanted to do it for cheap but they didn't want to work with a music video maker they wanted to work <laughs> with an artist so i was like well shit this is made for me <laughs> so that like i talked to them and they were like you know, if you made music videos before, I was like, oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> and they're like, okay, like, this is kind of like going to be a big one it's yeah. for Nylon uh, Nylon magazine, which is like a fashion magazine. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I can just shoot a video. No problem. I got all the gear. And so I ended up buying a camera and a computer and Final Cut so that I could figure this out. Oh, shit. No idea what the fuck I was going to do. <laughs> and, like, ended up just following these kids around for a couple days filming mm -hmm. and then got into editing. And the moment, the first time I opened up an editing program, I was like, this is the connection. This is the this visual is and the it. audio. This is it. Like, and so that kind of opened a lot of doors. And I went a little crazy with just making tons of videos. Wow. I would make uh, digital commercials for our shows instead of flyers because I was like, people see a video. That's cool. Yeah. yeah that's going to be more of an impact than just like, you know, open up Facebook and it's like show tonight. Exactly. You know, so I really started working on, you know, trying to combine those two. And then unfortunately at some point I just sort of <coughs> denied that. Like I kind of just <coughs> forgot that lesson. Yeah. Um, and so it's been, it's always been a balancing act of, the the two things and it hasn't been until this project that i really feel like i have a a solid grasp on what it is that not only i can bring to a project but what like an understanding of what it is that i can actually offer absolutely you know yeah. and that's been that's been huge to me because hmm. uh one of the things with with my life it was like at one point i was probably 25 and I was trying really hard just to make it as a fine artist. Yeah. And I got this book that was like, this This is like, it was called like, uh, The Artist's Guide to the Fine Art World or mm -hmm. something. And the first fucking sentence in that book was, how do you know you're a painter if you haven't spent a year sculpting? And I just like Damn. closed the book and was like, fuck. Went and got a bunch of clay and sculpted it for a year. Wow. And then I was like, holy shit like sculpting and painting is the same thing it's the exact same thing it's just one's two-dimensional one's three-dimensional but the all the things that i knew about painting i could translate into sculpture if i just kind of squinted my eyes and looked at it a little the right way yeah and so that kind of started that's definitely started the path of me like you mentioned that you understand the world through hip-hop mm. i understand the world through painting yeah because like the process of painting is so so crazy and as you know it's different for each painter but like for me there the um the same head of the fine art department who said i looked like i had a group show gave me one of the best pieces of advice ever and i was starting a painting but i didn't know what to do and he walked up to me and was like what's holding you back and i was like i'm not sure exactly how to make this cool and he was like well you know what you should do you should mix up the grossest color you've ever made before and go ahead and put that on the canvas <laughs> because you can't fuck up any more than you just did <laughs> and he's like and then one of the things that will probably happen is as you keep on doing layers on this painting some of that gross ass color is going to show through yeah. and it very well might end up being your favorite part of that painting Damn. and and that shit has rung true to me constantly yeah and so painting is really taken like 
the fear of failure out and more of like embrace failure because at some point i always like my sort of high school or college mantra was like i'm gonna make so many wrong decisions that i'm gonna run out of wrong decisions to make (laughs) and the only thing that's left is the right one you're right you're right so so that was kind of my approach for a while and it was that was a actually kind of a little bit of a too dark approach because like i feel like now it's i'm a little more nice to myself and it's like it's like yeah you're not necessarily making the wrong decisions but what you're doing is you're in the woods with a machete and you're carving a path so it's like you know keep on going sometimes you're gonna run into a tree you can't hack that shit down so you just gotta go around it yeah um damn that's crazy the trying to figure out what the what america in particular what what our fascination is with making people choose Mm -hmm. one thing this this sort of uh boxing in that we sort of all subscribe to and are like obsessed with and and people having an identity an identity that we're comfortable with mm-hmm. um it's crazy at, at sports now they're making kids pick one and it's like that ain't happening mm-hmm. like if i could have made weight in football i would have played but i couldn't, <laughs> couldn't make weight so it was just hooping it was just hooping baseball but uh but then there was theater for me, mm-hmm. and then there was it was always music, and so there was always just a ton of shit to do. Like, and it's the same with creative expression. And I thank God for for Morgan and uh, Kate because they're the ones who really pointed out the production aspect for me. Mm-hmm. It was like it was just so one track minded. It was like MC, 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 and Morgan's like, "You sitting up here waiting on beats? You probably should just learn how to make one." Exactly. And I was like, "Really?" It's that ownership, dude. <laughs> and then just spit, just obsessed. Mm-hmm. It's been it's been three years of just obsession over like sound mm-hmm. and color and like that synesthesia shit is real. It's like for sure. I'll dream about a color and I'm like, yo, I want to hear that. Yeah. And trying to explain it to somebody is like, there's no words. So where where the that somebody says where the words stop is where, like this the the music can kind of pick up for you. And I know I've lived that shit. And so when you talk about sculpting and and everything and like relating and like helping carry the narrative for you like it really is important for people to understand um why are all of these things are important um for me it's the as much as my pen game like like lyrics and raps are important melody and fucking script writing are just as important to me right like like they like there is no first or second like they all are like the same for the yeah. same it's the same thing to me um, and i feel like that's something that you definitely tap into because there's a cinematic aspect of the way that you articulate the lyrics mm-hmm. and like how it takes takes you on a journey so yeah. it's like you know that shit is massively important yeah um we're at south pause things are buzzing and then how what happens to get from south pause to, to, to souvenir driver uh I was in a really bad relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, that girl and I broke up. Um, kind of didn't know what to do with my life. I had soft paws, so I was kind of like banking on that. Yeah. Then, you know, young kids, egos, stuff like that stepped in the way. I was like kind of out of control with the breakup and everything. And uh, Brandon, the drummer, was about to have his second baby. And he was like, look, man, I got to really focus on... I got to focus on life right now. I can't focus on music. Yeah. And so I, uh, I was then just like left with a, like, well, what the fuck am I going to do? And so I get a call from 
my friend Nate and he's like hey man can you meet me like can you meet me for a conversation and I was like yeah and he told me that he was thinking about starting a band and that he wanted me to be in it um and softballs at that point I was pretty much a lead singer and in this project souvenir driver I was going to be just lead guitar and I was really excited about how freeing that would be where I didn't have to worry about you know frontman shit all I had to worry about was being a rad guitar player yeah and so I did that and I was like oh man that's great and I get home and I'm all fucking jacked like man shit's gonna work out this is cool and I get a call from my friend Bill and he was like hey dude like what's going on and I was like well I just talked to Nate we're gonna start a band this is all gonna be cool <laughs> this kid Bill was in this band Tiger House that was like a dance pop band and they were like pretty massive and he was like well how are you gonna be in that band when we were just about to ask you to play bass in this band Yeah. and I was like well fuck it I was like you know I don't got a girl right now I ain't got like my old band's pretty much done like I'll just be in these two bands Yeah. and so I really was like at that point like I'm gonna put visual art on hold for a little bit and I'm really just gonna focus on my craft as a musician Yeah. and so that's what I did was you know never really played I played bass here and there but I never was a bass player in a band and so that gave me sort of a different understanding of what what my approach could be in a band mm -hmm. um and so it was a really kind of interesting dichotomy of playing in Souvenir Driver, which was like sort of psychedelic indie pop, and then playing in Tiger House, which was like full-on dance party band. Yeah. Like, you know, sweaty sweaty people going nuts <laughs> <laughs> as compared to people dressed nice with their arms crossed. Yeah. And so, so that was like a really sort of interesting... That was a very weird time for me because yeah. it was pretty much every day I had band practice didn't matter and so it was like band practice band practice band practice you know there were multiple times where it'd be like we play one show downtown mm -hmm. and as soon as we were done i had to just leave all of my like guitar gear there <laughs> and then go to this house party and play you know a show with this other band and that was it for like three years damn and so so that was like that was uh i mean that was monumental to me as far as like just developing my chops as a player yeah and like you know, there was a lot of lessons learned for sure about, yeah. uh, I don't know, just generally continuing to learn about communication Absolutely. and like trying to keep stuff together. But at that point in my life, I was so confused and so heartbroken that it was like, it's basically like a kite without a string Damn. just flying through the sky. Yeah. Like, and so <clears throat> it was, yeah, it was, a that was, it, it was, it was crazy, but like, you know, with Tiger House, we got to go on a big tour and play South by Southwest, which was a big deal to me. And like, who'd you do that with? Tiger House. Okay. And then uh, with Souvenir Driver, we got to like go to LA and record a record. We got to start playing some festivals. We got to start meeting some people that, you know, I had grown up listening to. And then all of a sudden, I'm just in a room next to them. Yeah. Like, thank God you're not a soccer player because yeah. I can speak to you. <laughs> like, you know. Um, but, Damn man, and and as as all that's happening is like right around when we meet each other, right? Mm -hmm. Is that the, right it, the yeah. timeline, right? Okay, and then um, then we then we meet, and we're at we're at similar spaces, uh, creatively and like collaboratively. Like it just hasn't worked out for whatever reason, and I I can speaking for myself, I was still in a place of like externalizing and blaming people, like. Mm -hmm. You know, 
such and such didn't do this, whatever. And as was I. And that reoccurring theme, I'm like, but there's there's only one consistent factor in in all is you, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a hard ass conversation to have, especially um, when it's with yourself, when it's by yourself. By yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is it is it is an important one, and we entered this this process together with with um expectations shifted didn't have any initially and then after that first session they went through the roof oh it was crazy dude and then the next one even higher higher and then the next one went higher and then that that last one we got our asses kicked mm-hmm. by the you know the it's it, and, and by that i mean we were humbled um and just reminded to respect the ability and the access and the privilege that it is to to work in a studio as dope as Greg, mm-hmm. uh, to work with somebody as great as Greg, to to collaborate with someone that's as accomplished as you, for me, um, um, the privilege of a budget, mm-hmm. um, of of getting out your dreams. Like there's a lot of things that are operating around it that you gotta you gotta keep in in perspective as a creative knowing remembering what it felt like not to have any of those things mm-hmm. and in the process of everything going so well you start to take it for granted and go, exactly oh, i i deserve this you don't deserve no, fucking thing we got slapped in the mouth <laughs> <laughs> and um but for i'm 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 grateful for the the ability to recognize that the ability to uh to identify it and articulate it and, and, to, and to build on it and to talk about it because what happens What's the what's the result is days like yesterday, mm-hmm. where it's the last day of vocal uh, of vocal overdubs and the last day of mixing, and this euphoria that you felt before, but it's so few and far between that you're like, holy shit! Mm-hmm. Like this is what this is all it's for. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like I feel like yesterday we actually got to see what it is we made mm-hmm. for the first for the time. first time. And so there's like all of a sudden it's like, you know, we've been working on trying to make this thing. We've been trying to make this thing alive. And then yeah. yesterday we saw it take its first breaths. Yes. And it was like, yeah. oh, good, yeah. good job. Damn. This thing's kind of scary. Yeah, man. I um, I, re- I really wanted to, to do this, to do this pod. Um, and as, as, as sort of like a like a like a prequel to, to things, because uh, people are there are a few people that are familiar with you and you've and you've met quite a few people. But there are still people that are unfamiliar constantly marvel over the artwork um this last year and a half and it's been it's been the same person uh it's been you um <laughs> but uh, i feel like, i mean one of the things about like working with you in this group in general is that like from day one i felt really embraced by you yeah like you're one of the first people you know not that this didn't happen before maybe this was the first time i was able to actually understand it yeah. but everything that i was doing you were like nah do more yeah. keep doing it <laughs> where uh, you know i was sort of more used to the like i have this crazy idea like let's talk about it mm-hmm. and then it's like oh yeah yeah thanks but no that's not the direction we want to go in and we and we've and we've talked about that and i and 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 to and to start into i'm trying to get into practice of giving myself like like more credit and shit and mm-hmm. and and to my credit um i'm genuinely more inclined to be around people that I that um I just think are better mm-hmm. you know like it's just a, it's just a, it's just 
I've That's always, what you do, dude. You I've, play always up. I've always been like that. Like, it's like, like you want to be the best kid on the JV team, or you want to be an okay kid on the varsity <laughs> team. Like, and, it, and to me, and to me, that's a no-brainer. But I know, I know, there's a certain part of the world that subscribes to just like, nah, I want, I want to stand out. But to me, when you can be a part of something that's consistent quality, you stand out and you mm-hmm. get your moment. If if you're if you've done the work, you know. And a lot of people are banking on not having to do as much for the work mm-hmm. so then they need something to help magnify that a little bit right. um and and in partnering with you with kate with chris um uh, with quid um with sal uh with morgan with davion with my cousin poe with uh with freak uh, uh davy uh deal like these are all people that i just respect Mm-hmm. It, there's a there's a common thread of respect really. like that person's phenomenal mm-hmm. like I want to be like that you know and it it guides it guides so many things when you're operating first from a place of respect and especially if someone with with the like I'm I'm pretty clear on my vision like as clear as day mm-hmm. like I, I and I know I know it's it's weird because I'll pick and choose who to share it with I, I used to pick and choose who to share it with now it's like whoever is whoever there like, yeah. and I'm like I felt so bad for you and Greg yesterday because I just couldn't help myself I was like ah but it's uh it's just like uh it's this professing it out loud thing like nah I'm putting the world on notice the universe is on notice like this is how this is gonna go and so what happens is like you meet someone like you who's capable of that shit, and I go, "Oh shit, <laughs> y- y'all in trouble now!" Like mm-hmm. it's the ch- it's the cheat. I call you the cheat code for a reason, like it, it because it, it it feels like that. Uh, but that's why this podcast was this episode was in, was important to me because meet the brave the concept um, was was built around those conversations we were having when when you lost JK and you, like we were losing mm-hmm. people it felt like left and right there for a second it's like okay this is crazy no prior to this experience <laughs> I hadn't really experienced death too much in not, my immediate not a, life and now a, I am unfortunately well versed well versed like, I'm an I'm, I'm a expert in death yeah, you, you, uh, you, hey you you need, you need someone to talk to I no, got you grieving <laughs> I got you <laughs> I, I, I understand oh man but uh but I mean that all all of that stuff like especially in this process everything that we lost it's like we gained so much more yeah but like thinking about your cousins that you lost and then like with jk or my cousin chris mm-hmm. it's like in some ways it's like all of that shit you can hear it on this record and that shit's gonna live forever and that shit's <sighs> always gonna make me think of those times and those kids aren't going anywhere in my brain and know? we have when when chris passed I couldn't bring myself to do it, but we have music with him that we that we had started working on in Cincinnati, uh-huh. and I still haven't listened to it. Like I'm like a little bit afraid of it. To be it's, honest with yeah, you, yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same way. But at some point, that's definitely gonna happen. Yeah. But I will not ever forget when I got the call that he had passed, and then my aunt told me that the last thing they listened to was the day got blinked. Wow. Which at that point, you know, was in kind of a rough stage, but that that to me was like oh fuck man this kid has given his life to music to music and now he's gone and so through us through what we worked on like that shit had such a profound impact like 
it's it's is written in that it's in those fucking bars it's in hmm. in that guitar playing it's in all that shit yeah. you know uh, that's <laughs> sorry to I, it's not that's not no because it's not a somber note that's a real note so i won't even say sorry for anyone no, it's somber like, note. I, I mean the thing is is that loss is something that everybody has to deal with yeah and it's a it's it's an unfortunate element of life but it's like through death comes life absolutely and through death comes new opportunity hmm. and like if you're afraid of that stuff that's when death is the most scary yeah you know when that shit is just permanent and there's nothing else it's just darkness that shit is a isolating and alone but like you know you start to let some light creep in you start to think how you can you know fly their flags for them it's like they're not around so what can i do to represent who they were and like you know help help push the concepts in the people that they were and help like you know explain to others what you know what their impact on you was like that shit makes people immortal i'm not even gonna say that no <laughs> that's meet the brave it's eat the matrix thank y'all